it's about being a good steward. I mean, you, you need to show that, you know, we have these multi-million dollar treatment plants and you're talking about the public health and people have to have faith in what you're doing. And, you know, I can stand up in a town meeting and, and talk to those people about why I need pumps or, or pipes or whatever I need. But I guarantee you that when I take them down here and I walk them through the facility and they see the environment that it lives in and the things that we're doing and, and, and they actually see it with their own eyes and, and sights and sounds and all the other things that go into this. I mean, it's, it's really what it is. If you can show the public what you're doing and you're doing it well, then, then you'll have no problem getting money. So that's, that's one of our biggest assets here, I would say. Welcome to What Are We Talking About, a podcast produced by Water Online. Hosts Jim Laurier of Maisie Injector Company and Adam Tank of Transcend Water, a dynamic boomer millennial combo, will help you demystify how to build a better brand for your business, keep current and prospective customers engaged with your company, and ultimately grow your sales. They interview some of the most interesting and unique water professionals who have used the art of storytelling to move the needle for themselves and for their organizations. All right, today it is an honor to host Jeff Calms, who's out of the Northeast. He works uh, in the municipal water sector for large utility up there, and he is a master storyteller. And he comes off recommendation from Susan Guswa, who we've previously had on the show. And we're so fortunate that she introduces Jeff because your background is fascinating. And I just learned something new, actually, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit <laughs> about your background. Um, but of course, the work that you do with the public and educating, I mean, really the, the world about water is right up our alley. So we're excited to have this discussion with you today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, Jeff. And, and Sue was very complimentary of what you've done and, you know, that you've won these public educator awards from WEF and from the New England Water Works Association. So let's start there. I, I think one of the most fascinating things is your work with elementary school children. Can you tell us a little bit how you got started with them, teaching them about water and, and, and why you started doing that? Yeah, so um, that, that story goes back a ways, but back in 1994, um, our local operators association started a poster contest to uh, commemorate, uh, you know, water quality awareness week here in Massachusetts. So at that point, that's when I started going out into the classrooms. Uh, my wife is an elementary school teacher, and I figured, well, it's much easier for me to talk in front of little kids and big kids. So if I'm going to try my hand at this, I would go out and try the elementary kids first. And again, the other part of that story would be is that I, I also feel like that age group, grades one through five, there's more family time with them. So like if I can come in and kind of get some information across and pamphlets and stuff, these kids are going to go home and talk about this at the dinner table. And, and I'm sure it's not going to come out the way that I described it in the classroom, but um, it surely did come out. I mean, and, and people talked about it for quite a bit. So we started going into the classrooms in 1994 and uh, we have six elementary schools here in town. Uh, actually, we're down to five now. We just opened a much larger one, so we condensed one. But um, yeah, I see grades one through five there, and then I get to work on the high school kids also. So 11th and 12th grade chemistry and biology kids. So yeah, it's very good. Jeff, what can you tell us about the, the way that you communicate water to those 
groups, if you will, those students. So, Soria, how do I tell you, how do you tailor your message to an elementary school student versus a high school student versus maybe a parent or someone in the public that's curious about your work? First of all, when you're talking to the to these elementary age kids, I mean, you don't really talk down to them. You talk to them like they're regular people. So, like, you know, the the information is very basic. So we, we always kind of go over like water cycle, water usage, water conservation, really simple things to grasp. Uh, I show a short video that might be pertaining directly to the topic of the day. Um, as they get into fourth and fifth grade, we start talking about where our drinking water comes from here in town, uh, where our wastewater goes. And then I kind of show them information on our watersheds. And, you know, even though I come in and see them every year and I keep, I always call it water is like a big puzzle. And I just add another piece of the puzzle every year. But, you know, it's very simple stuff that you can grasp. And, and you know, like I said, we, we talk about the shock and awe type of things like the field trips and versus going to a drinking water plant, you know, you're coming into a wastewater plant. So there's sights and sounds and it's like, that's all about being part of the, the job too, is what you need in the job. But as far as talking to the kids, that part of it really got easy because you're the expert coming in there and they enjoy having you. It, it's, it's great. Um, I'm training one of my employees now, April to, uh, to do this same training and she and I now alternate classes so that's going really well um and then when you get into the high school stuff it's just a little bit more technical terms it's like you can still show them the same style of material i focus you know i always tell the kids that when i see them in high school i can hire you now i couldn't hire you as a fifth grader so i have a different tax now i'm trying to talk to them about a career now and not about water usage but like hey look at this wide open industry that's dying for people like you to get into so that's that's the thing Right, right. And, and you mentioned it to us, you know, and, and one of the questions we always ask is when people like you, Jeff, are telling stories, taking time out of your busy schedule to do this kind of work, you know, management, they, they might look at it askance, right? I mean, wh why are you spending time? What, 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 what do you tell them and, and how do they react to, you know, taking this time to, to make this effort? You know, um, there's never really been an issue within my town management as far as getting out there and doing this. I think they all see the importance of it. Um, and, you know, the PR work of it's really good, but I think also like within different, like my engineering department in town, they, they have some sort of public education stuff in there, but um, I consider it the fun part of my job. I, it's never been a burden to us. I mean, it gets hectic, but it's enjoyable. Um, and, and it's, it spreads a lot of goodwill. Nobody's, you know, we kind of talked about this before. It's like, what if somebody from a town's management said, no, you can't do it? Well, that town management has been missing out on the opportunity to just put goodwill out in front of them because, you know, it's, it's easy for us to get into trouble, but, you know, we need to build up all this goodwill beforehand. And, you know, let's, let's build up the goodwill and be out there and show people that we're good stewards of the money and, and that we are professionals and we know what we're doing. Jeff, you had mentioned there's a couple visual aids you bring into some of these discussions that sort of really hit people front and center. I don't know if you have them with you, but it'd be great to. I, I don't have the jazz in front of me right okay. now, but, but for the people who are in the industry, they would understand. I mean, you know, I would be bringing in, um, I use ball jazz, so they're, they're clear, but I'll bring in the plant influent, uh, the, a, a bottle of the mixed liquor, uh, some sludge cake that we're getting off of our dewatering presses. Uh, I have a flow schematic that I kind of show the kids and we talk about all the water going through there. And then on the drinking water side, 
I bring in a sample of the local river, which is the Concord River. And then I bring in a sample of the sludge that the drinking water plant removes from that water to make it drinkable. Uh, and then also show them how the drinking water plant, that's what they remove from the water to make it drinkable. But then they send it to me and I have to remove that before I send it back out to the river. But then I also show them a picture of our watershed so that they can see that we all live downstream from the next community and that, you know, the wastewater treatment plant up above you is discharging out into the river that is your drinking water and so on and so on. You can just follow the river back uh, and then follow it forward. You can also see which towns are drinking after you, you, after you have used the water. So, they, I think it, they, you know, they, they get it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's great, Jeff, because, you know, we talked about this. Most people don't really understand how complex, first of all, making safe drinking water is, the steps involved, and then also the steps involved to clean up the water after it becomes sewage. And you're doing a real good service of letting people know, look, it's not just a black box where the water comes in dirty and goes out clean. Um, it, it, it's involved in, in, yep. in more than just that. And it costs, it, it costs money. Yep. And again, it's about being a good steward. I mean, you, you need to show that, you know, we have these multi-million dollar treatment plants and you're talking about the public health and people have to have faith in what you're doing. And, you know, I can stand up in a town meeting and, and talk to the people about why I need pumps or, or pipes or whatever I need. But I guarantee you that when I take them down here and I walk them through the facility and they see the environment that it lives in and the things that we're doing and, and, and they actually see it with their own eyes and, and sights and sounds and all the other things that go into this. I mean, it's, it's really what it is. If you can show the public what you're doing and you're doing it well, then, then you'll have no problem getting money. So that's, that's one of our biggest assets here, I would say. I, I was, this is a, a bit of a tangent, but it, I'll circle back here. I was, uh, I'll say I was shocked to learn, but also it wasn't surprising given what you wrote in your email about what you did prior to being in water, which was a commercial beekeeper for 10 yeah. years. And it's sort of this running joke in the industry that most of us didn't choose water, water chose us. We stumbled into it and we've never left. That's so I, if you would just touch briefly on making that, that jump into the water industry. Um, well, but maybe even more importantly, is there anything that you learned about, you know, dealing with, with people one selling honey, dealing with bees, dealing with insects, being out in the community, traveling up and down the coast, that you think you use in your water career? Um, well, I started out as a commercial beekeeper. So I did a lot of traveling up and down the East Coast. That's uh, it's all true. I did that for 10 years. Um, being a farmer living in New England, especially in the high tech belt was virtually impossible. So as much as I love the work, it wasn't work that I could keep doing. I didn't know what I wanted to be. I was still only 24 and I'm like, I got to find a job. And I had a friend who worked in the highway department of a local town and he got me a job in the water and sewer department in the town of Lexington, Mass. So I, I went there and again, still didn't know what was going on. And, and I made the jump over here into Billerica where I have been for 36 years now. But um, I think we touched on this just a little bit is like, if you want to go to be a nurse, a teacher, an engineer, all these types of professions, every single year in May and June, they're graduating thousands of people across the nation to come into these positions. There is not a school out there that is producing drinking water and wastewater treatment plant operators. We are taking people who are not happy in their current job and we're finding, you know, they know somebody. So because they know somebody, we bring them in. And then they're like, hey, this is really great. And, you know, 
it, it's really that's how people get introduced to this to this industry and it's a great industry and it's and it's not going anywhere it's it's like agriculture you need this job to survive and, and everybody you know the community needs you and as far as the beekeeping i mean you know there's a lot of um i didn't go to college but i got a lot of life experiences doing the things i did because i had a be in charge of a lot of things at a young age and and everybody who was doing that job with me there was only two of us who three of us really but that's just a lot of responsibility was thrown on you at a young age and you had to manage a lot you're listening to the water we talking about podcast we'll be right back after this short break this podcast is produced by water online the leading web-based community for water and wastewater professionals, showcasing the knowledge and authority of industry thought leaders. Water Online provides actionable content from vendors you can trust. And now, back to today's podcast. What advice would you give other people in your position throughout the country to get started, to, to kind of look at this as a, as a way to, I mean, you, you talked about a lot of things that you gained from this and the communities gained from what you're doing. Where, where should people start who, who are in a similar position as you? Well, you know, it's, it's tough. I mean, first of all, the people have to want to make a move to go to someplace else and, and be unhappy with what they have. Um, like we have several people here that I brought in that are friends or neighbors who now are in this industry and and they're thriving and they and they're moving forward and you know and there's a, there's a thing about you know pride and workmanship and and looking out at the end of the day and seeing the types of things that you get done and knowing that hey in my particular case I'm putting almost five million gallons a day of you know pristine water back out into the local waterway so protecting the environment I mean people I have lots of people here that were like industrial engineers, uh, plumbers, uh, Holly Davidson mechanics, uh, fire uh, firemen who kind of left that job come into this. Um, there's, there's people from every, if you were to go to any treatment plant, you, you would find 20 different jobs that these people have. But once people get into these jobs, they stay here for a long time. So I, I think that's very telling about the industry. There's, there's this, um, I'll say there's a running joke uh, certainly the gym and I have, but maybe others that when you're communicating with like there, there's sort of this, we'll say that there's like a, a rift, if you will, especially between engineers and ops. Yeah. So there's folks that are in the field, getting stuff done, getting dirty, getting messy, you know, water main burst, pump breaks, whatever, yeah. right. They're dealing with like literally the crap happening. Yep. And then you got the engineers coming in with all their lofty ideas and they design something wrong and everyone's always upset with them. And I'm sure that you have to communicate with both of those constituents, <laughs> as well as many others. Yeah. Talk to us about how you tailor some of that messaging in your day to day. You're always dealing with people. So keep that in mind. And you, you got to be able to keep that open line of communication. And all the things you said are true. And I've been in many upgrades, probably over $100 million worth of upgrades here. And there's one other group of people you didn't factor in. It's the construction people. So you have construction people who are actually building it. You have the design engineers who designed it, and then you have the operators trying to run it. And there's a lot of headbutting amongst those groups of people for all different reasons. You know, the engineers, you know, they don't think that, you know, 
that the construction people put it together right and the operators are saying that the, the construction people are messing this whole plan up and but in the end everybody's trying to do the same thing and accomplish the same thing we're all trying to get better and you got to go through a little rough spot to make that all happen um you know previous construction sites here on the treatment plant there's definitely been some errors and we always joke that the engineers should have to work here for one year before they can move on to another project. So they'll never make that mistake again. Um, I've been very fortunate that lately that has not been the case. Yeah, there's, there's glitches, but they're all manageable and it's, it's more fun talk, ribbing kind of a thing. Uh, the construction companies always change. So there's always stuff going on there, but you know, in the end, we all have the same goal. And as long as everybody understands that, then, then let's just keep moving forward and make this the best possible treatment plan we have. Yeah. And that's, you know, because because infighting does not help anybody. You know what I mean? Like, I really like my engineering firm. They've, they've done a lot of great work for me. So going back to Sue, she's like, I would call her one of my senseis, you know, her and another guy, Paul Dombrowski. There's so many people within that Woodard and current firm that I've dealt with that have, have like, I've learned a lot of stuff through them and I've been in a lot of construction projects. So it's like, if I have trouble, I know who I can reach out to. You know what I mean? But they also come back to me and say, hey, what do you guys see in here? And they might be able to relay that to some other operators in another community that they deal with. Well, put us together. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of positives there. You know, it, it should never be a negative thing, really, in my opinion. Yeah. One of, one of the groups you didn't mention, uh, Jeff, is vendors, right? Vendors of equipment. Can you give us some advice on how to best engage with people in your position? Well, you know, for me, I like to say that I have an open door policy. If I use your product, if you're in the area, I want you to swing by. I want you to just come in and say hello. But you know what? We'll, we can talk. We can do a little business here here and there. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to go to a lot of the big trade shows, WEF and New Year and all these. I go out of my way to go see every single one of the manufacturer and vendors that I use and, and put in good words about my vendors. Um, again, you know, it's we're all working together. If, you know, if I'm happy with your product and you're giving me great service, I'm going to be out there and I'm going to be saying great things about you. And, you know, again, I work with a lot of great people with all the different, you know, products that we have. And we've gone through a lot of different, you know, changes. Technology has changed so much and, and the, the process has changed. So, um, you know, we have a long, good, long-standing, good relationship with all our vendors. So that's very lucky. But yeah, the, but you could have some bad products and you wouldn't be so friendly with them or filling the problem. There's definitely areas there, but if the product is good, you can put up with a lot. And how about their, I personally dealt with them. You probably know them, your peers that may not be so open-minded or have an open door policy. It's probably closed by default. How yeah. should a vendor engage someone like that? That's a good one. I guess, um, you know, you got to build up a, a, a personal connection somewhere so that we can so somebody could get in and talk to you it's like you know it can't just be all business all the time there's always going to be some light talk and you know i would imagine if you're in sales that that should be one of the things that that you should have in your toolbox as far as communication skills being able to build that connection um you know you you got to have a personal connection and you can interact with these people and and have that you know, let me come by and show you this. I mean, I like people call me and stuff and that's fine. Um, but again, if they're in the area, come on by. Let's like, I don't even know what I need sometimes. Come on by. Do you have a new product? Let me see it. I mean, if, if I'm tied up, I, I will have them talk with uh, 
either one of the, the plant supervisor or the plant uh, foreman. And I instilled that in them too. You know, we don't want to shut these people out because there's always new products coming out there and you got to see them one way or another. Jeff, how, how do the regulators, uh, the government regulators view the efforts you're making on behalf of teaching people about what's going on in a, in a water treatment plant? Uh, you know, we deal with the regulators on a lot of different things about permits and stuff like that. And again, there's still a personal connection there. Like, you know, yeah, you know, they're overseeing me, but I'm, and they know that we're working hard to get all things done. But I can just tell you in a, in a personal note, within the EPA and DEP, there's many people retiring. And I've had people in the EPA reach out to me and say, we would like to send some new people down to you and shadow you for a day to see what you're doing in your treatment plant so they can get an understanding because they're new to the field too. And, and it's like, these agencies are getting super shorthanded and they need help too. So not only is there operator shortages, there's, there's shortages on regulators and, and they need to get training and they need to come into a place that's running correctly, place I like to think we're running correctly and see what we're doing. And, and I would never be adverse to like saying, hey, come on in and go through anytime because if I'm doing it wrong, tell me and I'll get it fixed. I'm not here to hide it from you. So. You know, as far as the regulators go, it's, it's again, open door policy anytime. Um, you can call me, email me, show up, just come on in. We're going to make you welcome and, and show you because we're proud of what we do. Man, I wish I wish there were more folks in the industry with your sort of mindset. This <laughs> it's it's impressive and, it, and it's it's what moves the industry forward. And I say yeah. that now being what, 30 some episodes in, you know, to our podcast, Jim, and a number of connections industry. It's just it's great to see. So thank you. Thank yeah, you. It's, like I said, we're all people. Everybody's got a job to do, and let's do the best we can. And especially this, this affects so many people. I mean, you know, to look how you know if you're in a really densely populated area, drinking water, wastewater, we're so interconnected. I mean, you know, recreational use, all the other things. But you know, we're all trying to get. We all have the same goal at the end. We want to clean. Right. So that may that may be a good transition to our final question, Jeff, which is our infamous airplane banner question if you've listened to any of our of our other uh podcasts we ask the same question to our guests and so we'll ask you this one so jim and i we have a plane that we're going to fly to the northeast pick you up we're going to yep. do a world tour and you get to put a message on the back of the plane that's going to be seen by every water professional <laughs> around the world what do you want the message to say I'm not so sure that I want every water professional to see it. I want everybody who's not a water professional to see <laughs> okay. it. And I'm all about succession planning and getting people into the industry. So I would want to fly something around that might have something like, uh, you know, if you're looking for a career and not just a job, the water industry, the wastewater industry is the place to be. You know, it's, it's more about getting the word out there to the people who don't know. The people who know, they know. We're good with them. But it's all the other people that have no idea that this this wonderful career awaits them, and there's no access point for them to get in. So, like, I would I would have like the largest job help wanted banner in the world flying around saying, you know, talking about how great this industry is, and the and you know you can raise a family, you can have a great career, and 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 be rewarded at the end of every day because you can see the positive things you've done. So. Yeah. There's yeah, a lot of words in that banner, but there's a lot of people out there who need to see it. So fly slow, okay? It's, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a more expensive trip because we'll be flying around a lot more houses, but that's all right. <laughs> yeah. 
Careers are not jobs. You know, anybody yeah. can have a job, but to have there a career is a different thing. There you go. That's well, Jeff, that, that's a great way to end it for our audience. Uh, you know, we're all proud. You know, the three of us are proud of being water professionals. And yeah. we recognize what a great career it is. But uh, it's, it's great that you're letting people know about it. So uh, thanks so much. We appreciate all your efforts. Thank you, Jim. Thank you.